Gar and I, as you know, as we sit here together and, and talk about this, we, we understand accountability and we are accountable for what this team did this year. We don't run away from it. We accept it. Uh, that's that's on us. Locked on Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Your number one source for Chicago Bulls news and stories. For me to be here in the NBA organization, such a historic organization that Chicago Bulls, so it's just a dream come true for me. Live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. This is going to be a process. It doesn't, you'll snap your fingers and it all happens at once, but um, that's the plan moving forward. So kick back, relax, and get ready for the best hour of your day. Locked on Bulls starts now. Here are your hosts, Jordan Malley and Matt Peck. What's up and welcome into Locked on Bulls, part of Locked on Podcast Network. We're live on Dash Radio, DashRadio.com, and the Dash Radio app on the Nothing But Net channel. We're live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. I'm your host, Jordan Malley, writer of Bulls basketball in the NBA at FanRag Sports and College Hoops over at SB Nation. Along with me is Matt Peck, writer of Bulls basketball in the NBA at FanRag Sports and host of the 312 show on AM 1590 WCGO in Chicago. Follow us on social media on Twitter at Jordan C. Malley, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at Locked on Bulls. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Locked on Shy Bulls, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and anywhere you find podcasts, you will find us. 331-979-1369 is the line to text and call. Leave all of your text messages, your questions, voicemails, whatever you have for us. Leave it for us there at 331-979-1369. Matt, what's going on? How are you? I've got a little bit of Bulls news as we start the show here today. So I guess the most pressing news coming out of our full episode yesterday, didn't talk a whole lot about the Bulls, but I think the most pressing thing to talk about here is Mo Bamba's going to meet with the Bulls uh, sometime late this week and then also be open to questions from the media as well. It, uh, from the articles I've read, just from quotes from Obama, just from the NBA Combine, it sounds like he's really excited to meet with the Bulls and I don't know. I, I'm I'm a little bit excited, and I hope that um, he turns out to be everything that we, maybe we thought, and maybe slides down to where the Bulls are picking at number seven. Yeah, what's going on, Jordan? Bulls Nation. Um, I I'm less optimistic now than I was, say, a couple weeks ago, at the likelihood of Bomba sliding down, because more and more we are hearing that teams are getting less and less excited about Michael Porter Jr. And that they are simultaneously getting more worried about his medicals because there's been some some rumors going around that he necessarily hasn't necessarily disclosed all of his his medicals uh, to to various teams that he's been talking to, and he is becoming more and more of a risky pick. And if the Bulls were to have Bamba slide down to them at seven, the most likely scenario is that Doncic and the three primo bigs would go in the top four. The Mavs would take a gamble on Porter at five. The Magic would take Trey Young at six, and boom, there would be Bamba at seven. To me, it seems less and less likely that that scenario will play out. So I'm not crossing my fingers. I'm not holding my breath. Uh, if that somehow still does happen, absolutely, I think Bamba's the guy you have to take because you would love to see him paired in that Bulls front court with Lowry Markkinen. Uh Has the potential to be an elite defensive big and rim protector in the league and also someone who can over time develop his 
versatile offensive skill set. I'm curious to see what uh, what he has to say when speaking to Chicago media tomorrow. Uh, at the same time, I'm not getting my hopes up. Hey, I'm I'm there with you too. Is the more and more I read, and obviously mock drafts, especially when we get to. I don't know, three weeks, four weeks out from the drafts. It seems like the volatility in these in these mock drafts are high and low and they bounce all over the place. And that's one point that I wanted to bring up to you before we take all of the mailbag questions sent in today, as long as well as voicemails. Remember, you can hit us up at 331-979-1369 or on Twitter at Locked on Bulls. Before we get to that, though, I mean, I saw Adrian Wojnarowski's mock draft his recent one and he was talking some crazy stuff about possibly Michael Porter Jr. falling out of the top 10 and maybe sliding all the way to the back part of the lottery do you do you buy into any of that or do you feel like even if there are still some questionables with Michael Porter Jr.'s back and his medicals that still somebody maybe in that top 10 will take a chance on him Um, the way he was talking highly at the NBA combine it's obviously no surprise either that he feels like he's the best player I'm a little bit sketched out with the fact that he didn't release all the medical information to some of these teams um, that makes me worry a little bit more than maybe maybe some others do um, that makes me worry more than maybe some other players in the past ones that we've talked about that have slid out of the the NBA lottery talking about like OG Ananobi with his knee um, so this this is very interesting do you think do you think there's any possibility that he ends up sliding out of that top 10 at least for right now like where were you sit today I think it's certainly possible, and again, that there's still nearly a month to go, or right around a month to go before this draft happens, and we can learn a lot more information uh, over the coming weeks as far as what we know, and more importantly, what we don't know about Michael Porter Jr. and his health and that back, because a kid who is you know still not quite 20 years old having already had a back surgery that has alarm bells and caution tape written all over it. And if there are, you know, say all the teams in the top 10, the bulls included feel strongly enough about some alternate choice that does not have said health risk attached to him. Then yeah, I think it's absolutely possible. Porter jr. Falls out of the top 10. And if the bulls are not 100% convinced and that there is no major risk to take with Michael Porter Jr., and they believe that his health is not an issue and he's there at seven, I I wouldn't throw a conniption fit if they do take the gamble there. But again, that's that's still a big question mark to me, and with as much talent as this Bulls team is lacking, if Bamba's there at seven and Porter Jr. has slid down, I'd take Bamba. And I mean, you get a little dicier when it comes to like, well, would you take Wendell Carter Jr. over Michael Porter Jr.? Would you take Mikael Bridges over Michael Porter Jr.? Again, that that right now is still a giant question mark because there's a lot we don't know about Michael Porter Jr. And I think the Bulls in recent years, the, the track record of this front office, front office, they don't really like to take risks. So I wouldn't see the Bulls. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Bulls pass on him if they're not convinced. And, you know, a couple more spots after that, all of a sudden, Porter Jr. finds himself outside the top 10. I think it's possible. If they get an inclination that maybe Michael Porter Jr. is going to slide, any possibility you think right now that they could trade back a few picks? What do you mean, trade back to take Michael Porter? 
So if, let's say Wendell Carter Jr. and Mo Bamba are off the board, Jaron Jackson Jr.'s gone, Marvin Bagley's gone, you know, the, the, the guys that are supposed to go top six, but you're in a decision between a guy maybe like Trey Young, Mikel Bridges, Michael Porter Jr., um, maybe Wendell Carter Jr. being there, maybe. Let's just say for this this scenario, he's not there. Um, your choice is between Michael Porter Jr. at seven, Trey Young at seven, or Mikael Bridges at seven. Is there a possibility if you have an idea that maybe you can trade back a few picks if Michael Porter Jr. is going to slide, maybe some of these other teams behind you are higher on Mikael Bridges, Trey Young. If you can get maybe something from another team in order to take Michael Porter Jr., maybe if he does slide out of that top 10, top 11, whatever it is, uh, those teams that are behind you, maybe they don't have for certain feel like that Michael Porter Jr. is healthy and they don't want to take that risk. I, I feel like maybe it's it, it's probably a long stretch if they want to try and get something from him, but I feel like even with Cleveland at number eight, I feel like their opportunity to take him, if the Bulls don't take Michael Porter Jr. there, I can't see him sliding past eight either, especially with the decision with LeBron on the table. So I guess what I'm saying here is if the Bulls have a decision to make in terms of taking maybe Trey Young, maybe Michael Porter Jr., um, or one of the lesser picks, not one guy that we're super high on that maybe thought we were going to slide, do you see any case where the Bulls might trade back and see if he is there maybe at 10 or maybe at 11, if they could pick up an asset? Well, like the the most common hypothetical that people talk about is the Bulls trading down to the Clippers who have 12 and 13 and getting both of those picks I don't think it's realistic that the Clippers would be so high on somebody at seven that they'd be willing to give up two picks for one to move up those six spots or five spots Uh, I know it's something that people keep talking about because people have heard that the Clippers might be interested in packaging those two picks to move up but I don't think that packaging those two picks to move up to seven is necessarily what the Clippers are trying to do. If the Clippers really want somebody who is in the elite top tier of this upcoming draft class, that's not trading up to the Bulls at seven. That's trading themselves into the top four. So I don't think that that is really a, a hypothetical that, that makes a lot of sense. And that is, you know, outside of that, like where would the Bulls be trading down to? And what would they be getting in return for trading down? Another question about trading real quick, though, I wanted to ask you. I'm so sick of these trading conversations. <laughs> it's not happening. What is it? If the Bulls if the Bulls really like Mo Bamba and say Dallas is okay with passing on Mo Bamba at five and maybe they like Wendell Carter Jr., is there? do you feel like the Bulls, if they really fall in love with this guy, could move up two spots if it didn't cost them a whole ton to move up just two spots to take Mo Bamba. Because that's the other team that I'm I'm a little bit concerned about in terms of if you want Mo Bamba to be there at seven, which I, I like both guys. I like Wendell Carter Jr. and I like Mo Bamba. Obviously, Mo Bamba's got more of a raw tail at higher ceiling than at this point than I feel like Wendell Carter Jr. has. You, you, know, my, you, might, you know my thoughts on this, Jordan. So to all of our listeners, I'm so <laughs> sick of these trade up scenarios I don't see it happening I just said it sounds more and more like the Mavs are going to take Bamba instead of Porter Jr. because teams are scared of Porter Jr.'s medicals and if that's the case then this is a moot point because the Mavs are going to take Bamba because they are from what we've all heard totally on the outs with Nerland Snowell and certainly the stuff that came out from Philly earlier this week doesn't make Nerlens Noel look any better so they need to add a big to their front court Dirk's on the verge of retirement to me, like Bamba sliding past the Mavs is almost uh, 
impossible at this point. So would the would the Mavs trade down and let them and let Bamba go so that the Bulls could trade up to five and get him? Uh, that would take one hell of a pleasant package that the Bulls would be offering to Dallas. And my question to all of you Bulls fans, hoping that that happens, is what the hell are the Bulls giving the Mavs to trade up to to, to trade down two spots? What do the Bulls have that the Mavs want? And what do the Bulls have that the Mavs want more than Mo Bamba? Because to me, that is a fat blank of an answer. I think you've you've proven my point completely right there. I think that's the biggest question is like, what could you offer the Mavericks in order to move up a couple spots? It's not like they're trying... And, and any Bulls fans who think that 7 and 22 alone gets that done is friggin' insane. And if, it, if that's what it costs... I don't even know if I'm willing to trade the two first round picks that we I mean you traded Nico Miritich to try and get that pick because we wanted another additional first round pick now if you're trading that pick in 22 and your plans are to go out and get another first round pick that's 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 a one hell of a stretch so I, I think I'm with you too like the Bulls don't have anything to really offer at this point. Like for teams that are non-competitive, at least at this point, like Justin Holiday and Robin Lopez, sure, maybe Jerry and Grant, you can sell off to a contender who needs a backup point guard at cheap. But those those <laughs> options. <laughs> oh, are we talking about Jerry and Grant having trade value right now? Because that's hilarious. We're gonna take a short break here on Locked On Bulls. We come back. We're going to take your mailbag questions for the remainder of the episode. We've got a ton of really good questions, things we haven't talked about yet, anywhere from the NBA Combine to taking on bad contracts and so much more. So stay with us here on Locked on Bulls. All right, Matt, I said that we were going to take questions, but I've got one more for you real quick as we come back from break. Should the Bulls select Michael Porter Jr. even with these medicals? If that ends up turning out to be a catastrophe, how bad does that look for this front office? And do you feel like they're not going to swing for the home run here? More so because of, you think about Zach Levine and part of their core piece in him and having to sign him to a long-term deal with the ACL injury and then maybe taking a chance on a guy that has back problems at 19. Should they take him at seven and two, three years down the road, it turns out he's injured, he's hurt, he can never get on the court. He didn't turn out to be what everybody thought he was. The way that he was supposed to slide should have been what they did. Instead, the Bulls took a chance on him. How do you think that looks for the and goes for the front office, and what kind of setback do you think that puts this team in? Um, maybe two years, three years down the road, if some of these medical concerns actually turn out to be true. Yeah, in the, in that hypothetical, there's no sugarcoating it. It would be a catastrophe if the Bulls take a gamble on Porter Jr. and his back issues turn out to be not just something he took care of in college, but something that lingers and basically ruins his NBA career and the number one overall pick kind of prospect that he was coming out of high school turns out to be a giant bust. That would be awful. Because that risk is there, that's why I don't think the Bulls, for all the talk that Bulls fans are doing about Michael Porter Jr. and, hey, did you see Michael Porter Jr. was at the at the beach in Chicago over Memorial Day weekend? And it's not like everybody is on the Michael Porter Jr. train. I think a lot of Bulls fans are, are scared and skeptical and don't want the Bulls to take him. As I said before the break, the Bulls front office, this Bulls front office is known for not taking risks with their picks, specifically their first round picks. I I just don't see it happening. If they do 
decide to take the risk for the upside all-star potential that they see in Porter Jr., and it doesn't pan out, yeah, that looks really bad. But I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it means the automatic dismissal of John Paxson and or Gar Foreman, which I know the Bulls fans everywhere are hoping happens at some point. Would you rather have Michael Porter Jr. pan out, or would you rather have Michael Michael Porter Jr. be a bust and that be the reason that the front office gets fired, finally? Because to me, Paxson wants... This job, Paxson has this job as much, as long as he wants this job. As long as Jerry Reinsdorf is alive, and as long as his son Michael still has a strong relationship with Paxson, Paxson will be the the by and large the head of this team for the foreseeable future. I I, I don't see that changing. You and I have talked on this show about how the same might not be said for Gar, and that Gar might be on a little bit of a shorter leash now because of some moves in recent history. But even still, if Michael Porter Jr., after one season, after two seasons, after a full rookie contract, looks like a bust, that is that would be very unfortunate for this Bulls rebuild, but it wouldn't necessarily mean the end of this front office. Yeah, I, I think that more so it would probably be the axe for Gar Foreman, more so than John Paxson. We've said that over and over again, and which. Which is fine. Like I think you and I have been able to categorize both of those guys as two separate entities. Whereas I know a lot of Bulls fans like to pair them together. And sure, that was fine when Butler was here, when Rose was here, when they were making decisions together. They were letting Gar Foreman speak to the media about everything that they were doing over those course of the year. And that didn't work out in packs. And I think saw that and realized that he doesn't want to be grouped with Gar Foreman either in some of the mistakes that he's made so I think those are two separate separate entities at the same time I think you're right though if Michael Porter Jr. gets drafted at seven the back the back concerns are still there he turns out to be not like I don't even think he needs to turn out to be a complete bust just a guy that is just another guy if he is average it through his rookie contract I still think that's a complete disaster for the Bulls that being said, I think you're right, though. I think it would be more so a glaring look at Gar Foreman's job, more so than Gar Foreman and John Paxson, and whether or not their their job security is in any type of question, which I don't think is is the case any time in the near future here. So let's take some questions. So this one comes, this is non-Bulls related, and I think this is a pretty quick one. We touched on earlier in the earlier in the week when we were talking about draft prospects, and I just had reminisced about Draft Express. So this comes from the 773. Just said, can you guys expand upon what you were talking about with Draft Express? Uh, maybe last summer I used to use it all the time to check out great prospects. Their videos were fantastic. I love the site, but now it's difficult behind a paywall. Can you guys tell me the story behind that, what happened there, and why nobody else is picked up from there? Yeah, so this is really unfortunate, and um, I think you know, all of us NBA nerds who obsess over draft prospects around this time of year are really missing the exit of Draft Express. Essentially, what happened is that ESPN saw that Jonathan Giovoni and those guys at Draft Express were creating amazing content that everybody who was an NBA and NBA draft nerd was flocking to. And they specifically were doing those video breakdowns where they would highlight a player's uh, athletic uh, physical tools, physical you know specs, height, weight, wingspan, all that kind of stuff, highlight their weaknesses and strengths, including freeze frames of 
film of college or if they were international players, wherever it might be, and say, here's the, here are the strengths of these players, here are the weaknesses of these players, and take you frame by frame so you could see exactly what this pr- prospect had as far as their strengths and weaknesses coming into the draft. And it was some of the highest quality draft scouting work I had seen as far as modern digital sports media. And ESPN, ESPN saw that and said, wow, a lot of people are ignoring our mock drafts and ignoring our draft content. There must be something else better out there. And then they found, oh, this, these Draft Express guys are doing phenomenal work. This is competition for us around NBA draft time. We are ESPN. We have a gajillion dollars. Let's just buy them out. Unfortunately, ESPN bought them out, and now they are so draft the Draft Express guys are still creating content. They are now creating content for ESPN behind the insider paywall. And even behind that insider paywall, they are no longer making those exclusive high high quality video breakdowns that they were doing in years past. They just don't exist anymore. So ESPN basically just bought out a small competitor to eliminate the competition and the draft express guys now work for ESPN and are putting putting out lesser quality product. That's essentially what happened and it's really unfortunate that it that it happened that way. Yeah, you pretty much summed it up there and the videos, I think just the videos too that's the one thing that I think a lot of people talk about but their website too was phenomenal. Like they were giving you content from you know all these advanced college stats and analytics i mean it was yeah it was Even very about intense. high school kids too like they were giving you yeah. measurements and uh updates and scores from these high school games that you wouldn't normally be able to get unless you follow some of these small-time beat writers that cover these sports um so yeah i, I think you summed it up perfectly and it's kind of disappointing that draft express is behind that wall now um the one thing i will say is the athletic is trying to now start up this college basketball site and obviously the athletic is behind a paywall but if you don't pay for the athletic already you should because it's phenomenal writing not only here in Chicago but if you want to follow anything else there so um, Seth Davis started this entire college basketball part of this site and he's doing a phenomenal job there not only with the writing there but just the breakdown and the writers that he has on board are a lot of former writers from ESPN Fox Sports CBS these writers that got laid off and were looking for jobs uh, high quality writing there so if that's if you're looking for a place to look for in-depth writing and people that have sources and know what they're talking about I, I would point you to the athletics college basketball site and Seth Davis because they're both awesome uh, but yeah very disappointing about draft experience all right let's get to the next question here uh this one comes from aaron in california hey guys love the show really makes me excited as a bulls fan to listen i really appreciate it well thank you aaron we are happy to provide this service for you and all of our beloved fellow bulls fans uh given what we know about marvin bagley's defensive liabilities is his offensive game so strong that he is without a doubt the pick if he falls to the bulls if so, how do the Bulls make it work with him on the team? Thanks for the question, Aaron. To me, this one is a simple answer, and it is, I wouldn't worry yourself because there is no way in hell Marvin Bagley is falling to seven. I'm with you, too. I, I, don't, I don't even have a response to that. Like, I'll, I'll talk to you about his game real quick. Like, yeah, Marvin, Marvin Bagley's offensive game and his, I think his length and his size, his athleticism, too, is phenomenal, and he's going to be great in a place that he can thrive offensively early on in his career. He's going to have to develop his defensive game. If you watch any of those Duke games, especially against competitive opponents, North Carolina, even in the tournament, you know, 
teams were double teaming him and he, he had no idea how to cover he had no idea how to switch on defense he seemed lost at times and it kind of reminded me I know this doesn't really have um, this isn't comparing both of these guys def- defensive work but it kind of reminded me at times of what Zach Levine would do this year is just kind of give up on plays if a guy blew past him or had to make a switch just sort of gave up and watched the play develop rather than getting involved and I think that's one thing that he's going to definitely have to improve in, in his game if he wants to get to the ceiling that he's at right now look at look his offensive game is incredible and I think is only going to get better in the NBA and I think the one thing to be really interested in is is his body of work over the next three years once he gets to an NBA team you see it with guys all the time that come in and look like stick figures in three four years down the road they're just massive so I think that's another thing to watch you're right though Matt there's there's absolutely no way he falls to the Bulls at number seven no no way and and I agree with most of you know what you said about his game uh, translating to the NBA level I think if you're talking about the top tier prospects in this draft he is one of them but as far as the bigs I would take Aiton over Bagley I would definitely also take Jaron Jackson Jr. of Michigan State over Bagley because I think his his skill set and his physical tools right now project to be the exact model for what you want your bigs to be in the NBA and I also would probably if in the top four take Luka Doncic over Marvin Bagley because of those defensive liabilities but that's that's where I have Bagley. I have Bagley as the fourth of the top four in this draft, and I would be shocked if he is not if he is not gone by the time the Bulls are picking. All right, seven. let's get to another question here. This one comes from the nine one nine. Just a quick and simple question. Any thoughts on Glenn Robinson the third? Glenn Robinson the third is an unrestricted free agent this summer. Uh, he's only twenty four years old. Battled some injuries with the Pacers on and off the court, and not being able to really see a whole ton of playing time other than uh, in 2016-2017. What do you think about an option if it comes at a cheap price about taking a chance on Glenn Robinson the third? I mean, he is uh, so he's a twenty. He's twenty four years old. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent this summer, and he has shown himself to be a more than useless NBA player at this point. Um, I don't know what kind of offers he'll get in free agency just because this is going to be kind of a weird, you know, tighten the purse string summer because there aren't that many teams that have a lot of cap space to play with. And that being said, I mean, I just don't see it as a position of need for the Bulls right now. I mean, you have Zach Levine, you have Denzel Valentine coming off of your bench. Like, why do you need to add another shooting guard? To me, if the Bulls look anywhere in free agency, where they should look is, I you know, adding a wing. I, I mean, they all. I'm like, and heck, they still have Justin Holiday coming on, coming into this uh, this off season on their roster. Unless they trade him away, there's a, another veteran wing that maybe the Bulls will will keep around at least until next season's trade deadline. I I just I I don't expect the Bulls to be major players in free agency, and we've already talked about how you know, assuming that they bring back um, Zach Levine, assuming they bring back David Nwaba, they might just essentially do nothing in free agency if they do I wouldn't expect adding another shooting guard to be at the top of their one thing I will say about this and I know he's listed as a shooting guard and a small forward at 6'6 222 
He played in 23 games with the Pacers last year. He only played 4% of his minutes at shooting guard, obviously because Victor Oladipo was there. 95% of his minutes came at small forward in 2016-2017 when he played in 69 games and over 1,500 minutes. He split a 51% at shooting guard and 49% at small forward. Um, He came into the league, actually, like you were talking about, playing at the shooting guard position, but it seems like what the Pacers were trying to do is get him to play more of a smaller three smaller wing guy I don't know if he's got the defensive talent to be able to do that his offensive game is 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 what the reason why the Pacers have held on to him for so long is because he's got the athletic upside the guy the ability to drive to the basket I remember when he played in a full season when I was covering the Pacers back in 2016-2017 I don't think it's certainly a bad option to at least take a look at if you're going to take a flyer on him for a couple million for one or two years but I think you need a commitment from him to be able to play the three and that still is completely unknown yeah yeah, I think I'm with you there. All right, we're going to take another short break here. When we come back, we're going to take a couple more questions from Mailbag. Remember, you can hit us up, 331-979-1369. Text and voicemail line, so leave all of your questions there. You can hit us up on Twitter, at Locked on Bulls as well. Be back in 60 seconds. Stay with us here on Locked on Bulls. Welcome back into Locked On Bulls, taking your mailbag questions today. All right, Jordan, here is the next one. This one comes uh, from the 678. Hey, Jordan and Matt, do you think the Bulls should take on Luol Deng's contract for the Lakers if they included a first or second round pick and one of their up-and-coming players? Jordan, I'll let you take that one first. Uh, The Lakers traded everybody away at the deadline that I thought they could package with Luol Deng as far as options for the Bulls and... I mean, it depends on how desperate the Lakers are. I don't know. Like, there's probably better options out there for the Bulls in terms of taking on bad contracts and what you could get from them. Think about it this way. If the Lakers are trying to unload contracts in order to maybe sign LeBron James this summer, sign Paul George this summer, sign any of these top free agents to really push for it, where does that first-round pick get you next next year, really? If the Lakers are trying to compete next year and say they end up being a 500 team, you're looking at a pick at maybe the back half of the lottery and maybe taking on Luol Deng's contract and maybe a throw-in player, but I can't even see anybody on that Lakers team really that I would I would want the Bulls to get in return as far as a young asset. Like, Jordan Clarkson and Larry Nance Jr. would have been interesting pieces if you could have included them in that. But if you're looking in terms of getting, like, a, a potential top 10 lottery pick from one of these trades taking on a bad contract, just don't see it with the Lakers. And like I said, they traded two of the pieces that I I thought maybe could get fresh starts here in Chicago should the Bulls want to take on a bad contract, but now I just don't really see it. Yeah, I mean, let's also remind ourselves that this upcoming 2018 draft, the Lakers' own pick is going to Philadelphia at 10. So they, they don't even have that to trade away. They do have Cleveland's first-round pick coming to them in 2018, which is you know in the 20s, actually behind the Bulls' 22nd pick by a few spots, I think at 25. Um, so, I mean, I, Mike, I don't know what the Lakers really – and you mentioned the fact that they already traded away a couple of those pieces at the deadline this past season. I don't really know unless you're talking about you know 2019 picks. Uh, they have the Bulls. The Bulls are already sending the Lakers their 2019 second rounder. So maybe like the Bulls could get that back from the Lakers. Um, and then the, the Lakers are sending away a second round pick in 2019 to Portland or Cleveland. Um, 
they're sending a tw- their 2018 pick already in uh, in the second round to Brooklyn. Like the the Lakers are kind of wiped out. So you're talking about taking on a Luol Deng contract that has in 2018-19 million dollars, and then eight million, eighteen million more in 2019-2020. I know the Bulls are in position to take on a bad contract right now, but that is a lot of bad contract to take on. They still have to figure out if they want to stretch a, a Sheiks or what they want to do with that. And as you said, Jordan, and then as I just kind of highlighted where they are sitting with their with their draft pick situation, there's just not a lot there that I think the Bulls would say, we see value in this. And, uh, you know, unless the, the Lakers are willing to give up one of their young players that they plan on building around right now, I just don't see that happening. All right, so to kind of tailor off that question, this one comes from the three one two. The Denver Nuggets, apparently, according to Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN, said that the Denver Nuggets might use their 14th overall pick to offload Kenneth Fareed's contract. Obviously, Kenneth Fareed is owed $13.7 million this season. He's a free agent in 2019. Do you see any possibility here? Would Do you think the Bulls would have to give up their back half of the, the first-round pick at number 22 in order to take this on, even if you are taking on Kenneth Fareed's contract? Uh, what do you see in terms of a package if the Bulls wanted to, to get another pick, even if it is at the 14th spot in this lottery? Yeah, I'm, I don't know how, how much the Bulls would want to to add or to take on that contract to get themselves that 14th pick uh, because – I don't know if they are really spending a lot of time looking at guys who are in that area. You know, they're looking at guys who they can get at seven and they're looking at guys who they can get at 22 at 14. You know, who's there that they really want, you know, unless somehow Mikhail Bridges slides all the way down to 14, which I don't think he will. I think if he's there at 10, the Sixers are going to take him. Um and then I think Miles Bridges, the you know the other wing from Michigan State, will probably go soon after that, either to the Clippers at twelve or thirteen, or maybe even Charlotte will take him at eleven. And then so like, and then what are you looking at? Like maybe Lonnie Walker is there at fourteen. Maybe uh, the big uh, Robert Williams from Texas A and M. I don't know if the Bulls are really that high on any of those guys to move to fourteen. And as you said, if it would take them giving their 22nd pick to, to Denver, even though they'd be taking on Fareed's contract, I don't know if the Bulls would be that high on such of a deal. I mean, that's that's just me. I haven't really thought about I hadn't given that one uh, a whole lot of thought, but just thinking about it, first impression is I don't just like where that 14th pick is. I don't think the Bulls would want to take on a contract to move from 22 to 14 and give up 22. I would say this. It, since Kenneth Fareed's only on a one-year deal... He's got only one year left. The Bulls obviously have salary cap money. If that's all it's going to take in terms of whatever, the Bulls have to find a way to match contracts, um, take on Kenneth Fareed, move up to 14. There are a couple guys that are there that I would I'd be interested in, not only me, but the front office has talked to a couple of these guys. Miles Bridges from Michigan State hanging around that late lottery. Robert Williams of Texas A&M. Zaheer Smith from Texas Tech. Like you said, Lonnie Walker could be there as well. If all it takes is simply taking on Kenneth Freed's contract and you're giving up pieces that don't mean anything to this Bulls team outside of next year or two years down the road, I'm okay with it because at the end of the day, if if 
something doesn't work out with Kenneth Fareed, or maybe you play him for the first couple of months of the season this year, you can maybe turn around and flip him to a competitive team. Like There are options there if you do take on Kenneth Fareed's contract, especially because he's going to be a free agent 2019. I think that makes it look more appealing to the Bulls in terms of taking this guy on, giving up your 22nd pick, you get the 14th pick, maybe play Kenneth Fareed a couple for a decent amount of minutes for the couple of months, see if he can do anything at all productive, and maybe he'll have some value at the trade deadline. Like, to me, that makes sense. Like, potentially getting Miles Bridges, potentially getting Robert Williams, Zaire Smith. It makes sense. It makes sense. I, and, like, if the Bulls can trade up to 14, and all it would take is giving the 22 to Denver and taking on Fareed's contract for next season at 13.7 million I would do that I'm just saying I don't know that it's likely that that's all that Denver would want you take on Kenneth Fareed's contract next year and we'll swap 22 and 14 to me like yeah that that's a for, for a Bulls team that, as we are discussing, isn't really looking to be major players in free agency and have cap space to use, that, as far as a hypothetical of a taking on a bad contract, I think works. Because, as you said, it's only one more year. You can even maybe look to trade for Reed as a half-season loner at the before the deadline next season, and you move up eight spots. That That's a no-brainer for the Bulls. I'm just thinking that, like, I don't know if I'm Denver if I'm making that deal. Like, I don't know. If if you take on a thirteen point seven million dollar contract, what does Denver want back? Like how how do you offset that with a fourteenth overall pick? Are they trying to find maybe another potential above average player, borderline superstar, in order to get that, or just offload money in order so th- in order for them to be able to sign contracts next year? Yeah, I mean to me, like I said, it's uh, it's it's I don't think that the Nuggets would see it worth it to offload that thirteen million uh, if all they're getting is swapping and moving down from 14 to 22 i just don't think that they would see the value in that um uh, let's uh let's take another one here um this one this one's interesting um another one that i hadn't really thought about uh this comes from the 620 hey guys another trade question for you yip de doo um but it's not the same as the other ones thank god uh what do you think about the bulls trading into the early second round to try to pick up a second wing if they go with a big at seven. So I'm guessing that this uh, this question from this texter is assuming the way that they phrased it, to pick up a second wing if they go with a big at seven, assuming the Bulls keep their own pick at 22, take a wing, such as, I don't know, Chandler Hutchison or Jacob Evans, whoever's there, and then try to trade into the second round to get a third overall pick in the 2018 draft to take a flyer on another wing. Um, as I said, I hadn't really thought about a, that hypothetical scenario, Jordan. What are your thoughts? You know how the Bulls value second-round picks. Like, that would be my thing here. Is like A less-than-zero amount? Exactly. So the idea that the Bulls trading into the second round and trying to take a flyer on one of these picks, I mean, the only way I see that, that happening is if Grayson Allen falls out of the first round. And it, Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. Shut up. There were there are two names that I didn't want you to mention. That was one, and we all know who the other one is. LeAngelo Ball? When, no. I just, <laughs> when, when, when talking about the Bulls and how they value second-round draft picks. Oh, oh, and Jordan Bell. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. So, yeah, I. if I had to pick, the more likelihood of the Bulls trading up 
in the first round or acquiring another first round pick or trading into the second round, I'm putting all my chips on the first round because we've seen it. it. There's there's a perfect timeline of the Bulls not taking second round picks seriously. Yeah, and, and it's not like, okay, well, so we, are you going to trade away one of your players to get a second round pick? That makes no sense. Like, I don't know if that's ever been done before. Pick up Paul um, Zipser's option like a, and trade him. Paul Zipser, who we're high on. Not like a player of actual value that's currently on your roster. Um, and if it's a player of no value on your roster, then how are you trading that player away? And the other option for getting a second-round pick is buying one, like the Warriors did for the Bulls, spending the maximum $3.5 million. Cash considerations, what's up? And we know that this Bulls front office values that cash more than they value a second-round pick in the form of an actual human basketball player. So I don't see the Bulls wanting to trade away cash to get a second-round pick because that's not who they are. They tend to do the opposite. And I don't see the Bulls trading away a player that is currently on their roster to get a second-round pick, because that's not really a thing that happens. Where's my poster machine at? Oh, my goodness, I'm on the road, Neil. I don't got my poster machine. Hey, guys, it's Matt from the suburbs. I had a quick question for you. I uh, I guess as we're approaching the draft here and all the hype is kind of dying down and um, the, the overall excitement of everything and all these mock drafts are going to throw everybody around between, like, you know, four and eight. Uh, there's constantly people going up, people coming down. I personally feel like with all this talk about the bigs, maybe teams are starting to get a little weird about having too heavy of an offensive team and maybe trying to incorporate some natural athletes with more defensive potential. If the Bulls manage to get Michael Porter Jr., if he falls uh, to seven, does it freak you guys out at all that if they do manage to sign Zach Levine uh, back to another contract, that they would have this big, at least on paper, they'd have this big hole between two and four uh, defensively. Uh, even with Chris Dunn kind of anchoring the defense in the backcourt and maybe Robin Lopez anchoring it in the front court, I, I guess the idea that the Bulls would have this uh, striking offense, also, you know, I don't think Lowry's an isolation player, but it does kind of concern me a little bit that Zach seems to play a little bit better with the ball in his hands. You know, Chris Dunn, the main thing I think that kind of freaks me out is this big hole on the defensive end. So do you think that that's something that all three of those guys can improve on in the coming years enough to where it would be at least an average defense in the starting lineup? Or is that something now where it's like, you know what, if Mo Bamba's there, if Mikhail Bridges is there, we're just going that way because it's too much of a defensive liability. And I'd like to hear what you guys what are on that. All right, Matt, appreciate the voicemail. Thanks for leaving your question here. So it's kind of a two-parter, and they sort of intertwine in between each other. Talking about holes in the defense that the Bulls might have, should they take a guy with high offensive upside, somebody like Michael Porter Jr. or somebody like Mohamed Bamba? To me, he makes a good point. There are going to be defensive glaring holes. Obviously, Chris Dunn, probably out of that starting lineup that you're going to throw out there, is probably the best defender you have. Robin Lopez could maybe compete a little bit with that. Um, But in terms of defensive upside and being able to cover guys like Zach Levine, who are one of the the least efficient players so far in the NBA and also a pretty terrible defender, Chris Dunn is going to have a lot on his plate in order to be that guy. And I would like to see the Bulls be able to maybe get somebody in the back half of the first round that can help, that you can kind of plug and play and help 
Chris Dunn on that defensive side if we're talking about a wing. But overall, like the way that this team looks like it's being shaped, and you got you got to keep in mind who's coach here. Fred Hoiberg is an offensive-minded coach. That's the reason why the Bulls brought him in. They wanted him to play pace and space, fast-paced offense, shooting more threes. Like, we saw that really in this first year alone. Um, this first year being the first year that Fred Hoiberg's actually gotten to control what he wants on this team and run it the way he wants. So don't necessarily think that because the Bulls aren't looking at a safe pick or a guy that's defensive-minded first doesn't mean you can't go out and fill holes, especially when the Bulls are going to try to be competitive. So I would say, first and foremost, like there's other teams in this league that don't necessarily put a high praise on defense. Like Look at the Rockets team this year. They were just going and chucking up threes and going as fast as they could and shooting as many shots as they could. Well, where they let's be up. honest. The Rockets did improve tremendously on the defensive end this year. Sure. Like, you know, adding players like Trevor Ariza and PJ Tucker, like, there's a reason that the Rockets did that because they realized that they were an all offense, zero defense team. And as good as the Warriors are offensively, when they need to, they are also a very good defensive team. You, you can't be a elite team and expect to win and win and win deep in the playoffs if you, if your defense is garbage. You just can't. Um, that being said, I mean, to my uh, to Matt's question, yeah. No, if the question is, am I crazy to be freaked out about the hypothetical situation where Levine and Porter Jr. are playing next to each other at the two and the three, and the Bulls have a gigantic gap of defensive poo-poo at those spots? No, you are not crazy to be freaked out. I am freaked out about that hypothetical situation. And Jordan, you're not wrong in saying that Hoiberg is an offensive-minded coach, and if the health concerns aren't a concern to the Bulls and they and Porter's Jr. is there and they want to add that offensive firepower to this young roster, then we'll we'll solve the defensive problems when we get to that bridge. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. I, fine. Okay. You know, if that's the way you want to look at it, fine. But to me, that is a big problem. And that's why um, the mention of a, a player at that wing spot like Mikhail Bridges, who might be the safer pick and the less sexy pick than Michael Porter Jr., I, you put Zach Levine next to Michael Porter Jr. in a starting lineup, and who, who could they guard? Who, who like the switching that would be going on there, and all of the uh, just isolation death that would happen against both of those players? Yes, that would absolutely be a problem for the Bulls. All right, just to kind of cap off on that too, talking about offensive-minded team and the Bulls' defensive concerns, like you should have concerns about their offense as well. Like, can should I remind you, did we all forget how many times the Bulls scored single digits in quarters last season? And for the most part, most of the team's coming back this year. So if if there's any concern, there's concerns on both sides of the ball here. Like, Zach Levine, sure, he had a great game against the Timberwolves in, in spots, was able to score. But there's a, there's a lot of improvement that needs to be made, too, on the offensive side of the ball. Same thing with Chris Dunn. Chris Dunn's ability to drive the basket, sure, that's great, but you got to be able to finish there. Lowry Markkinen in spots was hot and cold all season. So, to me... If you're going to take one of these players and be a project, I, I think, first of all, you got to be able to put the ball in the basket consistently and to be to worry about relying on Zach Levine, Chris Dunn, and Lowry Market and saying, all right, those are already, we, we've got our offensive fi- offense figured out. Those guys can score. Like, I don't think that that's not a sure bet right now. So you shouldn't be looking at this and saying, well, we need to take a defensive player right now. I, I feel like 
that would be just kind of giving the Bulls more credit than I think they, they deserved last year. Now, in spots, they looked really good when they were knocking down their threes, sure. And how much can you credit to Nico Miritich and Justin Holiday and guys that aren't going to be a part of this team anymore to the to the offensive game that they played last year? A lot of that can be accounted to those guys. I'm not taking anything away from the games that Levine did and the growth that Lowry Markkinen showed, and same thing with Chris Dunn. But still, like there are concerns on both sides of the ball, so let's not... Let's not sit back and rest on our laurels and say, okay, Lowry Markin and Chris Dunn and Zach Levine are going to be all of your scores, and we're sure about that. I, I think you, at seven, you've got to take the best talent available, and that's exactly what John Paxson said. So I, I'm not freaked out. Obviously, there are concerns on both sides of the ball, so that would be my take there. I, th- I think that's a fair take, yeah. And, and your uh, your point about Chris Dunn is, is well taken. Hey, guys, this is Michael. I listen to the show all the time. I just so wanted to state a fact. I know you hate uh, Jabari Parker. I don't know why. The second pick, you know, he's not a bad guy like you say he is. He's really good. Uh, he do lots in the community. He's a nice kid. No, he had some unfortunate injuries, but I think he'll be a good pick, good free agent signing for Bulls. You know, in a cheap deal. And cut the bullshit. He's a good player. All right. Uh, let me know. Thank you. Bye. All right, Matt. Go easy on this guy. I'll let you take this one from here. Thanks for the call, Michael. Um, I don't know what to say to you without hurting your feelings. Uh, I mean, you say you know I hate Jabari Parker. I don't hate Jabari Parker. I hate the idea of the Bulls bringing in Jabari Parker, and I hate the fact that Bulls fans can't drop it. You're, I mean, I don't know these points that you're trying to make in defense of signing him. He's the second pick. Cool. What the hell does that have to do with the player that he is right now? Jaleel Okafor was the third overall pick. You want him on this Bulls team? No. Where they go in the draft has no relation to whether or not that this is a good idea to bring in this player to this roster. He d- he would do a lot in the community. Cool. Who the F cares? Do the Bulls sign players because of what they will do for the community? I mean, you know, joke, joke, nudge, nudge. Maybe in Dwayne Wade's case, yeah, that's why they signed that guy, to sell jerseys and to be able to trot Dwayne Wade around Chicago. I don't care about that element to Javari Parker as a hypothetical potential free agent signing. You say, get him on a cheap deal. He's a good player. We don't know what kind of Jabari Parker money, what kind of money Parker will be looking for this summer, and any significant multi-year deal where they're paying him upwards of, you know, twelve, fifteen million dollars a year is a risk that I don't want to take with a guy who's had all of the injuries on his track record already. I enough for the love of God, enough. I don't care where he was drafted. I don't care what he would mean to the Chicago community. I don't care that he might be a good value free agent this summer. I don't see it. So that's what you get, Michael. Thanks for calling in. But for the love of God, enough. Enough with Jabari freaking Parker. Let me just stop off on that real quick. Now that the Bucks have a new coach in Mike Budenholzer, I think that might potentially change Jabari Parker's outlook on maybe going back to Milwaukee. Finally getting rid of the cancer that was Jason Kidd and his relationship there. Uh, him and Joe Prunty didn't seem to get along too well either. 
I don't know if that's more. It sounds like it's more of a Jabari Parker thing than it is on any of the head coaches. Maybe he's hard to deal with. I don't know. But maybe that changes his outlook about going back to Milwaukee. Like to me, unless you're going to a contender or you're getting paid a shitload of money, I don't know why you would leave there. Like you you started there with Giannis and maybe it's because of the the whole jealousy thing. And Giannis ended up being the star of, in Milwaukee when Jabari Parker was really supposed to. It's a lot of things to piecemeal, but I don't know. I don't really none of us know what Jabari Parker wants. Does he want to be part of a winning team? Does he want to stay in Milwaukee? Does he want to go and get paid? I don't care Those what are... Jabari Parker wants. <laughs> Bulls shouldn't touch him with a 10-foot pole. I Jesus. agree with you. I'm, I'm, I agree with you. Especially the Zach Levine thing. Like Anytime talking about trying to sign free agents that have injuries in the past, same like, the same thing goes with Michael Porter Jr. we were talking about with the draft. Injuries concern me, especially when you're going to dump a ton of money on a guy that just only played 25 games yeah. coming off an ACL injury. Bef- before the Bulls signed another young player with ACL issues, let's see if the one that they already have can turn him himself into a reliable piece of a roster i'm with you um please keep calling in though i'd love to hear everybody's jabari parker takes sorry michael sorry buddy but you, <laughs> i mean you're asking for it you call in asking about jabari parker and preface it with peck i know you don't like this idea but you're gonna get what you get you are a hater all right, final question as we wrap up here. This is from the 562. It says, what's going on, Lockdown Bulls? I've noticed that quote-unquote NBA analysts and some mock drafts have, have the Bulls picking Trey Young with the seventh pick, and that makes no sense to me at all. The logic I've heard or read is that Chris Dunn can cover Trey Young defensively. Why and what's wrong with these people, Sam, from L.A.? Um, I think the the talk that you're hearing, Sam, about the you know Chris Dunn can cover Trey Young is about, say, the Bulls want to add the offensive threat the offensive star potential that Trey Young has to be perhaps one of the best shooters in the league the Steph Curry comparisons that we keep hearing the insane season he had with Oklahoma leading all NCAA players in points and assists something that had never been done before at the collegiate level he's an impressive young kid and the Chris Dunn covering is say you say the Bulls want to play both of those guys on the floor together in a very small backcourt and shift Zach Levine to the three. The defensive liability that Trey Young is, who is so undersized with a small wingspan and basically can't play a lick of defense, you have an elite or borderline elite and could become elite defensive guard in Chris Dunn. In the top, you know, ranked among top uh, of all NBA players in steals per game, uh, has great length and footwork at that position. That's the big reason the Bulls wanted him coming out of the 2016 draft. You can have Chris Dunn's defensive skills cover Trey Young's defensive weaknesses. That's what people are talking about. Um, to me, I still am terrified of the Bulls drafting Trey Young. I do not want him to to be on this team I hope that the magic take him at six which would allow the Bulls perhaps a pick at Bamba or Porter or Wendell Carter or whoever it might be I just as impressive as he was at Oklahoma I I think the Steph Curry comparisons are way overhyped I don't see Trey Young translating that well at the NBA level and you know maybe I'm wrong Maybe in six or seven years, we're all talking about how Trey Young did turn into the next Steph Curry. And if I'm wrong about that, I'm okay if the Bulls missed on that. Because right now, I just I don't buy Trey Young being the next Steph Curry. 
And I just don't see, especially considering that woeful college defenses, college def, college defense in college basketball is a joke. And even still, defenses started to figure out Trey Young and how to minimize his his threats on the offensive end as that Oklahoma season wore on. That to me is a red flag, and I just don't see how high his NBA ceiling is. So those are my thoughts on Trey Young. Yes, the logic about Chris Dunn covering his defensive weaknesses makes sense, but I'm still not that high on his offensive potential at the NBA level that I want the Bulls to steer far clear of him. Yeah, I've I've said it multiple times too, and you pretty much summed it up. This is the one guy that I really would be super disappointed if the Bulls took. Not because, like you had said, not because the potential is definitely there on the offensive side of the ball. We saw what he did at Oklahoma, and I'm not taking anything away from him and what he did, but if you go back and look at his conference play, teams figured it out. I said this to you in November when we started talking about drafting. We just joined Locked on Bulls. I told you, I said... Everybody is super hyped about Trey Young right now. They're playing in non-conference basketball. I said, wait till they get to the Big 12. Wait till they get to conference play. And then we'll see really what Trey Young is made of. Granted, his teammates weren't that great. Okay, I get that. Trey Young had to, had to carry, for the most part, these guys on his back. He didn't have a great... He, they were one and done in the NCAA tournament. The good competition he's gone up against has figured him out. Those defensive defenses have figured him out. He turned the ball over a ton in conference play, too. His defense is obviously a huge concern. He's undersized as well. And look, there's been other point guards in this league who have been undersized and learned to figure it out. Steph Curry being one of them. Kemba Walker being another one. Um, Pairing him alongside Chris Dunn, I don't think is really necessarily what you need to be talking about at this point. Chris Dunn and Zach Levine are going to get most of the starting minutes, so you got to look at what the second unit is going to be and pairing those guys alongside of it. And who who do you have playing point guard in the second unit next year? As far as right now, Cameron Payne. Does Cameron Payne have the defensive skills to cover Trey Young? Probably not. So to me. I just don't see it like we've just talked about this the glaring hole between two and four and if you take Trey Young there I just I would be super disappointed and if he turned out to be Steph Curry the same way that you said I'm okay with sitting there here and saying yeah you know what the Bulls passed on him I'm cool with that I just hope he goes before the Bulls so the Bulls don't even have the idea of taking him and Orlando takes a chance on him one more thing what's the Bulls track record on point guards since Derrick Rose Overall, what would you consider the Bulls' track record in drafting scouting point guards? Since Derrick Rose? Since Derrick Rose, 2008. Not great. Horrible. Not great. Horrible. Uh, I mean, they they were high on Chris Dunn in 2016 and really wanted him. Heck, they nearly traded Jimmy Butler on draft night of 2016, first to the Celtics at three and then to the Wolves at five to get Chris Dunn. And uh, I think he's the guy... that they have valued most as a point guard in drafts since Derrick Rose. But, you know, we all remember Marquise Teague. Ew. We all remember the fact that they also very highly valued campaign in the 2015 draft uh, and didn't end up taking him, but uh, highly scouted him and had him on their board. And, you know, campaign has been a mixed bag so far since he came in that trade. You're right. It's it's a valid point to bring up. Since Derrick Rose, the you know the point guards that the Bulls have been eyeing and drafting um, is is a mixed bag. Chris Dunn, I get, I get why they were so high on him uh, as you know coming into the draft as a four year point guard of Providence. I get that, and I still have 
faith and hope that Chris Dunn can turn himself into a darn good point guard at the NBA level. But that's the that's basically the only one that I can defend the Bulls on if you're talking about point guards that they have valued in drafts since. I agree. I like Chris Dunn a lot, too, and I think he can be I, – I think maybe I'm higher on Chris Dunn than a lot of other people are, too, and I think you and both – But Chris Dunn and Trey Young are basically exactly, opposites. Exactly, exactly. Like, like the, one shoots and shoots and shoots and is small, and the other is a solid defensive point guard who has size and, uh, you know – and can't shoot a lick so they, they, they are really truly like at this point uh at as you know done as coming into his third year and and trey young entering his rookie year they are nba opposites as far as point guards and let's go. never forget that they traded tony snell for michael carter williams as well because they evaluated michael carter williams and said he could be the point guard of the future here on this team so that's what i'm saying like the track record says the bulls aren't very good at drafting point guards Granted, a lot of other teams were really high on Chris Dunn, too. That's why he went at number five. So I, I like Chris Dunn, too, but it is definitely a mixed bag. And if you had to pick one side or the other, they're not very good at evaluating point guard talent. So that's another thing about Trey Young. And look, I could be completely wrong about it. I just hope he goes before the Bulls pick at number seven so they don't even have to concern themselves with the idea of taking Trey Young. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you. That's you know that's why I feel the same way. I hope the Magic just take him one pick before so the Bulls can't even flirt with the idea because I you know if we all end up if those of us who are doubters end up being wrong about Trey Young and he does turn into the next Steph Curry cool <laughs> good for him but I certainly wouldn't hold it against the Bulls front office if they passed on that I completely agree Steph. with you well, that's going to about do it here on Locked On Bulls. Thank you again for everybody who sent their questions in today. Left us voicemails as well, even though Matt might have grilled you. Please continue. You, If you leave us a voicemail about Jabari, I'm coming at you. All right, so start leaving voicemails about LeVar Ball and LeAngelo Ball and how he's going to get drafted. <laughs> <laughs> you can hit us up at 331-979-1369. Text and voicemails there. Save that number in your phone as Locked On Bulls. Interact with the show wherever you're listening to the show, whenever you're listening to the show. 331-979-1369 is the line to text and call. Dash Radio, DashRadio.com and the Dash Radio app on the Nothing But Nut channel. We're live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time on the Nothing But Nut channel. That's Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. For Matt Peck, for Jordan Malley, we are out, Bulls Nation. Be back tomorrow with a fresh episode. We are out, deuces. Locked on Bulls, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. Locked on Bulls is live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central. For more content and to stay up to date, head over to LockedOnBulls.com, part of FanRag Sports.